your home for combat audio is ready once again to open its doors. In this corner with Brian Campbell is back with the MMA edition and ready to pass your guard with a blast of knowledge so potent it can only be referred to by one name. That performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell is the voice that you hear. Just about ready to tag in my co-host, MMA royalty himself. King Mo Muhammad Luwal for a loaded show talking all things combat sports. We will break down from top to bottom one of the most exciting cards in recent MMA history as UFC 217 invaded New York's Madison Square Garden with a trio of dramatic title changes atop the marquee. King Mo is also going to take us behind the scenes during his return to sports entertainment this past Sunday night at Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory card in Canada. We've got all your bases covered here, folks, as we talk everything from heavyweight boxing, including Deontay Wilder's vicious knockout of Bermain Stavern, and react to the biggest pro wrestling news in months as Chris Jericho departs WWE to challenge Kenny Omega inside that NJPW banner. All that and more. Plenty of MMA from top to bottom. Yes, Bellator 186. And what's next for everyone from TJ Dillashaw to Joanna Champion to GSP. I'm not impressed by your performance. <laughs> and much more. GSP, we were impressed by your performance. We're going to break that down in detail in a second. But before we consummate this audio marriage, let me remind you to do your part for the ITC. If you hear something today, folks, that you like, if you see something, say something. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, review. Heck, send us a shout over social media using that hashtag in this corner. If you got questions for King Mo you want answered on the show, don't be shy. Slide in them DMs at BCampbellCBS on Twitter. Let your voice be heard. But without any further ado, hey, guys, King Mo. I mean, come on. He's back. I back. Trust me. I back. Enjoy. BC and King Mo coming back at you after a loaded fight weekend, which we previewed. We got you set up for last week. And when I say loaded, I don't just mean UFC 217, maybe the best fight card on paper of 2017, maybe the best UFC card in history. I know that's a little bit hyperbolic. We'll get to that in a second. But we also saw Sunday night, King Mo's return to the squared circle, or in this case, the six-sided circle, bound for glory, Ottawa, Aberdeen Pavilion, King Mo, six sides of steel. King Mo, before we get into anything, let's get into the most important topic. You back in that cage, you teaming up with Bobby Lashley to defeat Moose and Stefan Bonner. Man, this was the match that really everybody was talking about after Bound for Glory. T tell us about the experience. Take us through this. Man, it was a great experience, man. Uh, it was a faster-paced match than what I expected. Man, I took some hard bumps, man. <laughs> I'm sore as it comes, but <laughs> I man, look, I, I, I didn't my think timeline, it, I didn't it'd be that physical. And I looked at my timeline, and everybody's talking about King Mo bumping. That was literally the topic all the way across. Yeah, I I, I didn't want to take hard bumps. I didn't want to take hard bumps like that, but it ended up happening like that. Like I, I don't know, it just ended up happening, boy. But it was a great match, man. Uh, it was fun. I'm um, pretty physical. Yo, Bonner, boy, Bonner, stiff. That boy Bond is still. It's some good work. I enjoyed I had fun out there. Especially because we won. You know what I'm saying? I might have some war wounds, but we well, came out on top victorious. That was the other big the big story that came out of this match. The memes that are floating around. King Mo showing the, the cut above your right eye and, and sort of the message you put on social media, which you've said before in this podcast, pro wrestling 
a little bit harder than people think and maybe a lot bit harder than MMA. How did you get busted open? Tell us about this. Man, when 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 the second time Moose threw me into the cage, man, he's bust man. When I hit the cage, um when I went down, I blinked and I couldn't see it in my right eye. And then this guy know I wiped my face and I see nothing but red. Well, you know what they say in wrestling, right? That uh, red equals green, at least how it used to be back in the day. Did You're an old school wrestling fan. You appreciate the classics. Did you feel like you were in a time machine back in the 80s and you were like Ric Flair getting color and like, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina? Like, what what was that like? I felt like mankind. A few of the bumps I took. Like when I got kicked, I got kicked through the the, the cage door and that took a bump. I I thought that I was going to hit the pad. Nope, I hit all concrete. And I got thrown into the barrier. Man, like, I'm sore, man. I'm pretty sore. This was 10 minutes and 40 seconds, this match. It was a lot of people describing it as sort of fun chaos. The American top team played a big part. You know, in the end, Moose and Bonner really fell victim to the numbers game. How did you feel about your performance getting back in after being away from sports entertainment for so long? How You're probably your toughest critic. How do you grade yourself? Uh, I don't know. I just I was just a child of fun, you know, uh. And try to get that victory. Uh, I don't know. I, I I can always do better. You know, I, it's, I haven't been in the ring for a while. You know, I've been, the past few years, I've been in the ring maybe three times, if that. So, you know, it's been a while since I've actually stepped back to OVW. Maybe I need to go back to OVW a little bit and, like, you know, touch up on some things. But other than that, I had a good time. It was a good night. You know, I, I you know, everybody, the, the crowd was good. You know, everybody had fun, man. So that's all that matters. Well, we know those Canadian fight fans, specifically in MMA or even boxing, really in Montreal, are are just outrageous. They're they're really strong. They're an underrated group. Did they prove to be the same in Ottawa for pro wrestling? Oh man, yeah. We have a lot of heat out out here. You know, uh, uh, Dan Lambert is probably the best heel in wrestling right now. Straight up, Dan Lambert. It is a beast. I think Dan Lambert's promos before and after this show were, were getting the highest reviews of anything on the whole show. Like, people love this guy. People want to see him back. People might want to see King Mo back. So that's the natural next question. Did this light a fire in you? Is this the beginning of maybe a, a new run for King Mo? Uh, I don't know just yet. <laughs> you know, really my main goal is MMA, you know. Um, but after feeling – I had fun. It's just that, man, the soreness. I'm more sore – now I am after my fights, which is weird, but, you know. It's very interesting there. The big spot of the match, though, i got to give Moose a shout-out, right? Jumping off the top of the cage onto everyone below. This guy can move for a big-ass dude. Let's be really honest here. Yeah, he's like a, a super heavyweight luchador. <laughs> <laughs> you know, seriously. Like, like Moose is – if Moose was a little smaller, man, it, it'd be even more phenomenal. It's phenomenal now, but I think that, like, you know, WWE and other organizations would be like, okay, we have a big, you know, we have a, a great high flyer with a good body, you know. But he's so big, man. Like, he can he can smash you. He can fly over you. He can go through you. Man, he's very versatile, man. Um, Tom Mattel, what's going to happen with Noose? 6'5", 300, former NFL lineman, really been making some strides uh at, at TNA, GFW, now Impact Wrestling. We'll see where the promotion's going in the future. We'll see where he's going. We'll see where King Mo's going. I feel like this is the start of something I can only hope. I know that not not everything can be revealed yet. I, I want to see King Mo back in there. I'm going to be honest. You know what I want to see after watching this match? I want to see, I, I've said it before, see King Mo and Bonner in the Bellator cage. That's what I feel like the seeds were almost planted in there. Uh, you ain't, man, you trying to get Bonner killed? Come on, now. <laughs> 
You try to get him killed, he'd be 0 and 2 versus me. Oh, wow. I was trying to get King, I was trying to get Bonner some of this. When he stepped foot in that cage, they're gonna pay the price with nap time. Yeah, I was trying to get some nap time for Stephen Bonner there. Uh, it'd be a long nap time for him. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Any other stories behind the scenes? You, a, any other legends there? Anything you can share with us from Bound for Glory 2017? Uh, I know, you know, see, uh, PD Williams, that's, you know, that's pretty impressive, you know, meeting him. Uh, Alberto the Rio, it, you know, just, you know, backstage stuff, man. You know, just, just, you know, can't talk about it, but yeah. you know. <laughs> well, people kind of go, a lot of people like Del Rio's, uh, uh, you know, scathing promo against Impact. That was, that was kind of, that was, that was almost, almost a shoot right there. That was, that was a little interesting. Almost. <laughs> it wasn't no almost. It pretty much was. Well, Kingbo, the main event saw Eli Drake in a hardcore match defend that Impact Global Championship over Johnny Nitro. I gotta say this, for all the guys that are, in Impact these days, where you look at the roster and you say, okay, who might be able to make an impact across the street at WWE? Eli Drake is one hell of a promo, and he's really rebuilt his body. You impressed with this guy? Yeah, here's the funny thing. I met Eli Drake years ago, like 2012. Before he joined, he, he was on a show with The Rock called The Redemption or something like that. He was on a show like that was on TBS. And I saw him, and they're like, they're like, Mo, this guy's legit. He's going to go to NXT. He's going to be on a show with The Rock. You look out for him. And now I see him. I see him. I talk, as a matter of fact, I talked to him, uh, before the show started briefly. Just, you know, just been like congratulating him on his, uh, his, uh, comeuppance, you know, cause he came up. He went from being a guy at FSW to, to being a star. He has really made a run. I almost get like a Roddy Piper feel from some of his promos. You know, maybe he's studied the, the, the old tapes of the Hot Rod, but I mean, he's like got a classic sense of how he can deliver promos. I, I think this guy's got a future. I know he's already up into his thirties. He's not a, a spring chick. He was 34 years old, but, but he can bring, he can bring something. So we'll see where he can go. King, well, I want to stay on pro wrestling real quick before we get to all things UFC 217, because there was a giant, giant announcement in yeah. the middle of the night Sunday out of Japan. Man, that Chris yes. Jericho is crossing the street. King Mo, this felt like the 1990s when you turn on Nitro and suddenly somebody from Raw the week before is now on your screen on Nitro and you're like, whoa, Chris Jericho, who had been on a part-time come-and-go contract with WWE, has jumped ship to New Japan Pro Wrestling. He will face Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom January 4th in Tokyo, basically New Japan Pro Wrestling's version of WrestleMania. Wow, what was your reaction to this news? Man, I was like, this is crazy. And what type of heat is, is your boy getting right now? You know, because uh, just a jump ship like that, I know Triple H and a lot of people got to be mad. You know, Jericho just, Jericho don't care, man. You know, he's, he's this this could be a game changer. It really Straight could up, be a game, game changer, changer for like almost the industry. Like, I don't want to, you don't want to overblow it. It may be one match for all we know. But New Japan and Ring of Honor who have worked together, it's almost like a revolution is coming and they're changing they're they're upping people's expectations to how good pro wrestling could be. They just need obviously something to tag onto to cross over. Having Jericho basically be in your WrestleMania against the best wrestler in the world that feels like the start of some more momentum. I mean, we're already seeing Omega Omega doing five and six star matches. Now you put him in there against somebody everybody knows who can still go at age forty six. This is going to bring a lot of eyeballs to their product. Great move. And and King Mo in this day and age in wrestling, you've you've been a part of this. Secrets get out. No, this secret did not get out. This was fantastic. Yeah, and, and you know what? Let's see what happens with CM Punk, Daniel Bryan. You got Neville, Austin Aries. 
you know, you got other talent, indie talent, like Willie Mack out there. That what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen with what's gonna happen with them? They're gonna see, you know, Jericho jump shoot to New Japan. Will they take suit? Will they follow him? Go to New Japan and Ring of Honor. Ooh, and then you're hearing rumors about Ring of Honor partner with TNA Impact Wrestling. I saw that too. Wow. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if like somehow you know Bobby and Moose were to link up somehow? I, it's not gonna happen. But imagine if Bobby and Moose linked up. And you had Bobby and Moose versus War Machine, or you, or the Bucks. That'd be, whew, that'd be good. I mean, you just that'd be crazy. You just outlined a very interesting. Like, if you're gonna say, okay, so this is great. Jericho is gonna wrestle with Omega, and New Japan's gonna make some, you know, some ground. But how do they make that leap? Well, the leap is kind of what you just said. Daniel Bryan's WWE contract is up at the end of 2018. I think it's September. A lot of rumors from the Dave Meltzer worlds that he wants to get back in the ring, that he wants to do it in, like, you know, Ring of Honor New Japan. Imagine if he came. Imagine if CM Punk came, like you said. Now you have enough names where people who are casual WWE fans have to look across the street. And then when they do, they get a taste of some of those Okada six-star type matches. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're going to take the WWE down or, or cut into that business. But if they can bring the eyeballs of fans over and, and try to do something, right, like ECW did, right, they ch- kind of changed the game in the 90s, do something like that, then this will be a fun time to be a wrestling fan, at the very least. I mean, that, that's all you can ask for. Because I love WWE, but that product gets stale. If they have real competition, King Mo, whoa, right? Yeah, I'm just tripping on how, how the WWE, they let go of Kota Ibushi. Like, you know, they had him in the, the Cruiserweight Tournament. Why you let him go? The thing, the difference between WWE compared to, you know, like Global, I mean, Impact and uh, uh, Ring of Honor and New Japan is, you, I think, I feel like you have more of a variety of, uh, of like uh, wrestlers. You have a variety of styles, different wrestlers, different ways of, you know, different ways of thinking. You know, creative will be a little different. I think it'll be a little better if you could merge those three or they could all work together in some sort. Absolutely, and I think in like Ibushi's case, he saw the writing on the wall. He was in that Cruiserweight Classic with WWE, and he saw, what's my ceiling if I sign with them? I'm probably getting short money. What's my ceiling to be the Cruiserweight champion? A guy like Neville, who you mentioned, became that, realized he's probably never going to go above that, and has now left ship, and we hope one day shows up on like, you know, the New Japan G1 tournament. So I'm hoping that more wrestlers are waking up and saying, you know, the money's good in WWE, but if I'm not getting, if I'm wasting my prime jobbing out, what can I do across the street? That is great news for wrestling fans. Look at look, look at Hideo Tommy and look at um Shinsuke because I, I feel like they've actually like dropped the ball in a big way on them. They should be bigger stars, you know. Um, but I think part of it's through the brand split and they brought, they brought Shinsuke to um to uh, SmackDown and everybody more people watch Raw. Well, I think there's know? also and disconnection. Triple H running NXT really has developed a strong system in letting guys be themselves and be cool, right? Think of how many guys were so cool in NXT. Then they go to the main roster and Vince gets a hold of them and he like puts them through like the McDonald's drive through and they become these caricatures of themselves. You know, it's like, it'd be like if, you know, you got the king gimmick, but if you show up on WWE TV, they're really going to stretch out this king gimmick and kind of water you down and make you a, a comical character of yourself. You're not going to be have the edge anymore. That's what they're, they're doing to Bobby Roode right now. They're taking away his edge by making him all about that theme song. Well, the same thing with the um, Terry Crews, aka Uha Nation. When he was Uha Nation, he was far more exciting. You know, I, I like him better as Uha Nation. Now he's just like kind of a Kofi Kingston Oh, Apollo Crews. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's the same exact situation. Well, Kimo, I could talk wrestling with you all day, but we got to break down. (laughs) I mean, you know me as a reporter and journalist. 
I love to make the knee-jerk reaction. Was that the greatest thing we ever saw? Oh, my God. But King Mo, UFC 217, New York City, Madison Square Garden. I was sitting in the second row at cage side. I left that night saying, I got to be honest, was that the greatest MMA card I've ever seen? King Mo, put me in my place. Tell me I'm correct. Just, just you know, come original and tell me where we are. How great was that card on Saturday night? It was a great card, but I'm gonna be real with you. I think the best cards of, with, of Affliction has great, the best cards. The same thing with Pride. You know what I'm saying? Just because they booked them to be, you know, action. You know, they they weren't worried about like, you know, belts. They're more about action. The rules were made for action, and the, even the scoring was made for action. But this card, the slash UFC two UFC two seventeen was was up there. It was it was it was pretty good. But you know, the matchmaking was on point, and I feel like. The re, um, the results weren't what we all expected, which made even better. That's what the, the upsets made that card much better because if, if the winners or the, the favorites were the one, then it would have been another UFC card. You're so right. And like in, in those three title fights, there was so much trash talk associated with the build to all three. And if the favorite had won, then that wouldn't have mattered much. But because you had the upset, then you suddenly connect that back to the trash talking that got us there. And then you have these storylines of, like, the bullies finally getting their just due. I mean, when you saw TJ Dillashaw jump into Cody Garbrandt's face, just as an example, it was like the bully got what he, you know, deserved. If you were a TJ fan, you got to see him come back and get that. There was sort of that feeling where it almost felt like if they were going to try to script Saturday night, I mean, the UFC, if this was pro wrestling and not, you, you know, not real shoot fighting – they couldn't have done any better than the way it's scripted. I mean, there was three fights in a row after a strong undercard that just got better. Every single fight got a little bit better. I mean, I left that arena drunk. Like, you know that feeling when you're at a combat sports event and it's so good, you get captivated, you get caught up. I was drunk on the excitement. That doesn't always happen, King Mo, covering boxing and MMA. Like, you you hope that's the goal. We rarely get there, though. That was incredible. Well, I'm going to be real with you. Like, I think just the whole, the whole night, because... Not only the UFC, but what Deontay Wilder did, like the whole, like it kept like everything in the same city. You know, you had you had the upsets, the knockouts, the title change. Then you had the spectacular knockout by Deontay Wilder. You have a crazy fight by um, Granados and uh, Sean Porter. Yes, that night was a fighter. It was a combat sports fans night, straight up. It was phenomenal. Like um, uh, like just. Just unexpected. Like I, 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 seeing Johnny Hendricks, like I can, I'm gonna break down. Johnny Hendricks, seeing him lose, that was tough. Uh, seeing uh, my boy Masvidal lose, even tougher. The whole night was a bad night for me, honestly, because everybody, I, everybody either picked or wanted to win, lost. You know, and the only thing, only fight I got right really was the boxing matches. Like I picked, I picked um, Porter to win. I picked Deontay Wilder to win, but everything else, I was just. I was horrible. I'm glad I didn't talk to nobody about placing bets. I'm glad I'm not a handicapper because people have lost money that night. <laughs> well, a lot of people probably lost money. I mean, just you just look at how big of a betting underdog Nama Yunus was, for example, coming in. But let's start at the top. The, the marquee, the headliner, the person that brought the butts to the seats in theory was George St. Pierre. Four-year retirement. Made it look like, to a degree, like Cage Rust wasn't a thing. Comes back, moves up in weight, defeats Michael Bisping via third round submission. Rare naked choke. King Mo, he looked like a whole new fighter in the sense that his, he, he, he took the time to systematically beef up. He came in a rock, a, a muscle. We do have to temper 
the excitement and the the follow up, like wow, that was incredible. I, or at least for me to say, look, Bisping also was 38 years old and he hadn't fought in more than a year. So let's not. I mean, he GSP didn't beat Rockhold, but again, not going to crap on GSP. A strong performance overall. Were you impressed by looking that good after that big of a delay? Okay, I'm gonna be real with you. Like, okay, there's two few things. Bisping looked different. He looked slower. But someone said he came up a knee injury. So I was like, okay, it makes sense. Cause I noticed he wasn't moving as much and he couldn't. Um, two, George did, he could put on weight, but he didn't look as fast, but his timing and his punches look sharper. But I saw his cardio. Like, you know, he took some, like, I'm going to be real with you. If he went past the third round, he was probably going to lose because you can see him blowing up. You can see him breathing. But one thing you can see is that he's a lot smarter now. Yes. He's not wasting energy. His timing's better. His jab looked better. You know, um, just uh, all around, just he's, he fought more conservative. He fought with a better pace in my in my eyes. I feel, I, you said it great. I thought he used his mind to beat Bisping as much as anything else. You know, certainly used that Hall of Fame technique, and you give him credit. The timing was still there after four years, but he was really smart in how he, you know, when he hit the wall, stamina wise, in the second round, he was smart in how he negotiated that. Right, took the fight to the ground. Was three for three overall in takedowns. And so it's a great story. It's a feel-good story. One of the all-time greats, maybe one of the two or three best fighters ever, to some people the best, comes back, adds a second title in the second division, does the impossible at age 36. All that's great. But King Mo, he took a lot of punishment to get there. I mean, he was cut open on his nose and his eyes. And I'm just saying that that's a great moment for him. Let's give him that. But I don't think he's fit to defend the middleweight title against the killers that they have in this division. He's going to have to take a lot of punishment to get victories if he was having to walk through this kind of hell against Bisping, who might not even be the fifth best middleweight today. Well, you know, um, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a great point. You know, uh, let's be real, though. The reason why George ended up fighting Bisping is because Luke Rockhart lost. Yes. If Luke would have been winning We'd be like, we probably see Woodley versus, uh, George, or we see Diaz versus, one of the Diaz brothers versus George, or we see Connor versus George a lot sooner. But with, you know, with, uh, um, with Luke losing like that, that opened the door wide open for George St. Pierre to come in and, uh, win a second title. You know, and also let's not forget when, da- when Woodley defeated Damian Maya in July in that boring five round decision at that weekend, Suddenly we thought we were getting GSP Woodley. And then Dana got so mad at Woodley, he's not, no, forget it, we're going back to the Bisping fight. We thought that was a short-sighted decision. I still kind of think it was, but yet, give the UFC credit. They needed a star on this night. GSP came back, filled that star hole, made that equation work out, because this was a dramatic, kind of fun fight. you got to give them that credit. It does make a mockery, though, of the middleweight division, and I'm interested to see where GSP goes forward, because Dana White, after the fight, says, well, it's a done deal. He's fighting Robert Whitaker, and I know he wants to make that fight in Australia, where Whitaker's from. But you know you know what? GSP didn't talk about that. It, the reporters pushed Dana, and were like, well, is it really a done deal? He's like, well, no, I haven't talked to George. George is at the hospital, but this is what I want to do. I don't know if that's what George wants to do. I really don't. I, like, what's the upside in fighting Whitaker? And if he wins, fighting Rockhold or Romero or whoever's next in line, compared with two options, King Mo, one, outright retiring, because how could you retire better than this point? Or two, chasing the money at welterweight, where there's Connor, where there's the Diaz's, where there's Woodley, etc. You're missing another option. If Silva beats Gastelum, we could have... Gaslam, we could have Silva versus GSP. Like it's like it's supposed to happen. I think that's gonna happen next because why put George in with a young Thundercat right away? 
Give him another mythical matchup. Anderson Silva versus George St. Pierre is a matchup people like to see. George wins. Guess what? George can vacate the title. Be like, you know what? I'm done. Who's there at 170? Diaz. Diaz brothers. Um, let me see. Uh, let me get uh, Wonderboy quite possibly. Let me get Connor if he comes back. Let me get Woodley. There's options there after if he fight after he fights um Anderson Silva. The more options to go back down the weight class and uh fight at 170. All right, that's a key point you made because that's such a money fight. Fans have wanted that fight for. I want that fight under any circumstance for the title, not for the title. Both coming off of losses, I don't care. I want that fight, but. The thing about him going back down to welterweight, which I said might be the easier path, it may not actually be the easier path when you consider this sort of asterisk that we have to realize is that, and you can talk about this much better as a fighter, but King Mo, the idea of putting on all that muscle and then cutting down muscle as opposed to cutting mm-hmm. weight, it kind of ruined the end of Roy Jones's career. GSP has been open about basically saying like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to make a rash decision. I want to do this the right way. Is there something to believe that he'll never take that chance, that now that he's bulked up to 185, he'll stay at 185 and just look for those Silva type of fights? How dangerous is that at 36 to then try to cut off 15 pounds of muscle? Well, let's uh, let's be real. Let's, let's, let's add another name. Chris Bird. He fought Sean George. Remember, Chris Bird was a small heavyweight. Probably walked around 200 pounds, 202 pounds. Cut down to light heavyweight. Mind you, Chris Bird fought as light heavyweight in the amateurs. You know, went up to heavyweight, went back down. Chris Bird fought the the who's who of heavyweight. Then what goes to light heavyweight gets smashed by Sean George on ESPN. Oh yeah, Friday you Night Fights. He it looked like a zombie. Looked like a zombie, and George is doing the right thing. Like if if I were George, I'd be like, look, I'm gonna fight 185, or I'll fight a catch with 180, or I do something like that. But yeah. if anybody wants to fight me at 170, come up to fight me because don't forget, it's not like George is a bonafide 170 pounder. You you watch the fight, you can see that George is a lot smaller. George. But, but bigger, we can tell he's smaller than, smaller than Bisping. You can tell that come fight time, he probably weighed about 187 in the in, in the in the cage. I doubt he put on much weight because he probably came in, shed a few pounds easily, and then was like, you know what, I'm just gonna just eat, eat normal, eat casually, and go in the fight my walk around weight. And I guarantee that's what he did because that's what I do. Well, does the let's talk about what kind of shame the UFC might have. You might say they have no shame when you look at how the middleweight division has been booked since Bisping upset Rockhold, right? We saw Bisping against 46-year-old Dan Henderson. Then Bisping got hurt again, took more than a year off to fight a former welterweight in GSP. Do you think the UFC, if Silva wins, will have no shame in making GSP Silva for the title? Or is it more likely GSP says, all right, thanks, guys, I'm done fighting the elites, I don't need the belt. I don't need Whitaker. I'll just fight Silva no matter what in a pay-per-view on my own. Like, that's totally cool. He'll do either or because really it makes no difference. You know, like, so fans, like, you know, it's like this. The fans can call for whatever they want. They can call for George and Silva, but ultimately it's going to come down to if George wants it. And two, if the UFC wants to make that happen, because the UFC might have different a different um, route. They might have a different plan. They might be like, you know what? Like, they might know something we don't know. They might think, like, George might have been like, hey, really, I'm going to say I'm on fight, but I got two fights in me. I'm going to win this belt, and then I'm on Connor. Yeah. And after that, I'm going to step away. Or it could be like, you know what, I'm going to fight till I'm getting knocked out, and then I'm going to step away. But we don't know what their deal is. You know, all we know is what they told us. And like I said, you can't always listen to what the organizations are telling you because they, they always have a different alternative plan or ulterior motive 
that we don't know about just yet. It just felt weird, one, that Dana was so hardcore pushing him into the Whitaker fight, even though in theory it makes sense. Whitaker's the interim champion. You would want to unify those belts. But based on their history, like I just said, of kind of making a mockery of the division, it surprised me. And even though I want to see GSP Silva, and like I said, for the belt or not for the belt, if it was for the belt and Silva won back the title in his early 40s against the welterweight in GSP where he really hadn't won enough fights to earn it, then it would be weird, right? It would be weird. But then again, Bisping Henderson, too, for the title was weird. So maybe I should just shut up and enjoy the entertainment, Kingbo. Am I thinking too hard about this? Well, you're right. It's entertainment. It's they play in hot potato with the belts. Right now they have two belts at one weight class. You know, I don't, honestly, I don't know who the true champion really is. I don't know who the true champion really is because right now George beat the true champion, quote unquote. But in my eyes, the fight for the, the, the fight for the belt really was, was, uh, Romero versus Whitaker because after Luke lost, lost the, the fight for the belt really was Luke versus Bisping. After Luke lost the belt, it was all Bisping. Then we see Bisping defend the belt against Dan. Then that's it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not backwards. Did I get, did I get backwards? No, no, you got it right on. But yeah. uh, so the question we're really saying is this: the real fight between the two best fighters in the division. Tell me if I'm wrong. Is Whitaker versus Luke Rockhold? Is Whitaker versus Luke, Luke Rockhold, or it could be, it could be, it could be, you know, Luke Rockhold versus Romero. The winner of that faces, you know, um, Whitaker. You know what I'm saying? So we, I, I really don't know because they're, they're like you got Derek Bronson there, you know, with wins. So you just don't know until they actually do something to eliminate that second belt. Interesting. They have, to, they have to get rid of that second belt if they want to see who the best is. No, no, no doubt about it for sure. Maybe that's why Dana's trying to rush that. But, King Mo, let's go to this co-main event, Bantamweight Championship. Cody Garbrandt defending against former champ TJ Dillashaw. I told you on paper – I thought this was going to be the best fight of 2017 in terms of, you know, pound for pound elite champ against former champ. And holy crap, did it live up to it? It was short enough where it's probably not going to be in your fight of the year discussion. But you want to talk about the mixture of crazy drama with a really almost like high speed chess type fight. This gave you anything you would want. Holy crap, King Mo, this, if it was the main event on its own card and we didn't have the Joanna or George uh, headlines to compete with it, this would have been an even bigger story. This fight delivered. What are your thoughts? I thought it was a good fight. Um, I don't know, something was just weird about, for something, Cody Garbrandt didn't look, he looked on. He he had some spots, but he looked on, and Dillashaw looked like he had a game plan, like, in a sense. Because I could see him, he was trying to be unorthodox, use his hands, come with kicks. Stepping, stepping to the side, creating angles. And really, you know, usually I, I see him do move more and switch stances and do, do more. But this time he was a little more calculated because before he even stopped him, I saw him make a quick step, quick step to the right, create a new angle, and he threw a combo. I think it was 2-3-2 two, three, two or 3-2-3 three, three, and clipped uh, Garbrandt and put him away. You know, uh, both, both fighters showed the high skills. Both fighters showed patience. Um, I like what I saw. You know, eventually, I think eventually we'll see a rematch. Um, oh, my God. I hope we sort. see three or four of these fights. So you mentioned patience was so key. Cody Garbrandt looked so good to me in that first round just in terms of poise. No wasted energy. Was so efficient. Was dangerous. Knocked Dillashaw down. My, almost stopped him. I mean, really, that's what made this fight so dramatic. TJ Dillashaw, if there was 10 more seconds in that first round, may have gotten stopped. And yet then comes to rally for a, a stunning knockout in the second round. You said something looked a little bit off about Cody, though. Are you maybe referencing that the back injury wasn't fully healed? What did you really see there? I don't know. It was just something like that. The first round, I could see him, but he was, he was, 
he was, I don't know, he was patient, but he was more, maybe he was worried about something that Dillashaw had to offer that maybe, cause you know, they trained together. So maybe he knows like, okay, if I'm too aggressive, I might get countered. I don't know, but it just, just the fire wasn't there. I, I didn't see, I didn't see the, I don't know. I, I saw it a little bit, but it, it just seemed like a, just the aggression, the fire wasn't there like it normally was. Maybe he was trying to cut back because the trash talk, he didn't want to go in there too fired up, but it's just something like just, I don't know. Just I, I felt like he could have been more. He could be a little more. Um, well, well, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I just I don't, it's hard for me to explain. It's the feeling I got when I watched when I watched it. I just didn't see that. I didn't like the posturing from him. It, just something wasn't there. Right, right. No question. So Dillashaw was doing this weird thing. Coming well, I want to ask you as a fighter. He kept trying to do little short leg kicks in the first and second round, and each time he would miss, he would spin himself around completely. And I just sort of watching as a, you know, as a sort of fan who's not in the cage, thinking, why is he wasting that energy? Have you seen that move before? Yeah, I've seen that move, but you, but no, I've seen that move too as well from Romero. But the thing is, what you do is you go for that move, and if a person's aggressive, like Garbrandt usually is, which is maybe the reason why Garbrandt was more patient, you throw a spinning back fist or spin, but when you miss. You come with, come with this big back fist if the guys are going to counter you, which makes sense. Garbrandt's smart, you know, because uh, a lot of times what they do is a spin, they'll kick a spin, and they'll see, they'll look to see the guys that come. They'll keep on trying, and eventually they'll just go for it. And oh, so that's back a bait. Fist. He's baiting yeah. Garbrandt. Yeah, bait. Interesting, yeah. interesting stuff. So TJ rallies in that second round, like we mentioned, gets a straight-up knockout. Kingmo, I did not think that could have been an outcome, even though I – I'm a guy who maybe overrates Dillashaw's ability. I had him number four pound for pound coming in. I thought he deserved to win against Cruz, never should have lost the title. But I would have guessed if he's going to win, it would have been a five-round decision. That had to be a shocking knockout even for you, seeing the way that he planted the perfect punch, gets Cody down, and then instantly jumps in there to finish him off. Yeah, I think, as a matter of fact, I think it was 2-3-2, two, because two, I think that um, George landed left hook, um, uh, Rose landed left hook, and Dillashaw landed the right hand, so I think it was a two-three-two. Two, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, just he, they, you know, Dwayne Little came with a great game plan. Yes. My boy Dale Christians, who's a wrestling coach, also they they all work well together. And Dale talks highly of Dillashaw, saying he's a hard worker, smart worker, and they came with a good game plan. Dillashaw was confident. You can see, you know, a lot of people they treated. They I feel like a lot of people disrespected Dillashaw leading to this fight. You know, I, people called for him to get knocked out. People said that they they couldn't stand it. They didn't like him. Um, I really think that uh, the the fight, the story, the story about the fight, the the beef, the drama, the team versus Dillashaw, Alpha versus Dillashaw drama is what helped build this as well. I totally Cause, agree. You know, yeah, because Ryan Faber, who knows? I wouldn't be surprised if Ryan Faber starts training. It's like, you know what? I'm the team leader. It's up to me to get rid of this cancer. You know what I'm saying? Come out training and try to get a title shot. Okay, well, let, let's, jump, let's jump ahead to that because Uriah Faber talked to MMA Fighting on Monday. He's 38. He's retired. He's a now a UFC Hall of Famer. But he told Ariel Hawani he would, quote, have to consider it if UFC offered him a Dillashaw fight. Now, that'd be a sexy storyline, right? Former mentor against, you know, uh, Dillashaw who, who left the camp under, under not great circumstances. Is that, we're going to get to what's next for Dillashaw, but is that a smart move for Faber? To, I mean, he's 38. He can't win that fight. Uh, who knows? You can't say never say never. George Foreman versus Michael Moore. Yeah. Remember that? Never say never. Hey, GSP, GSP versus Bisping, right? Yeah. Never say never. Yeah, took four years off. Never say never. You never know what's going to happen. So the thing is, obviously, if you think about this, right, you know, they had beef. They, you know, they, they, you know actually, 
Faber was his mentor, so I'm pretty sure you know Faber knows his weaknesses and strengths. I'm pretty sure Dillashaw knows Faber's weaknesses and strengths. Um, we never know. We never know. Uriah Faber might have the big brother syndrome over Dillashaw and could win that fight off of just that alone. That happens a lot. We see guys that when a guy when a guy faces his mentor, you know, either see a passing the torch or you see the mentor's like, you know what, you're still not ready to beat me. Stay in your place. Stay in your lane. And that this this could be that 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 situation right there. Well, that's a juicy storyline because, like you mentioned, they, uh, Cody successfully turned the public against TJ, and TJ is not a, not a big or good trash talker. So he really just ate everything Cody was giving him at the weigh-in, the press conference, all the press events, the teleconference, everything leading up to it. He just sort of just ate it. And I almost felt like that properly fueled him. And you saw that when he got the knockout, he leaped into Cody's face almost out of character. That, there's a still image of that that's incredible. Cody, to his credit, was kind of half out of it, didn't, didn't fire back. But I thought they were going to brawl after the bell there. You know, that's, that was a, look, it was a juicy situation. I think it fueled TJ to be at his best. I think for the UFC, not, not really, kind of an underrated topic, not being talked about coming off of this card because this card was so dramatic. But you not only lose the star for a moment of Ioana, and we'll get to that in a second, but Cody was the guy who Dana thought was really going to be the next crossover star, and then he loses to Dillashaw. And I said on the preview show, if you want Cody to be your next crossover star, you might not want to book him against this match against Dillashaw. I mean, I know that the best always fight the best at the UFC for the most part, and that's why we love it. But this was a tough loss at a tough time, sort of an underrated storyline, because Cody looked like he really was the next big thing. Well, you know what? Lots has happened. It's, just, it's, gonna, it's gonna be up to Cody. It's how he bounces back. Um, really, what's funny thing is, you watch South Park, right? You watch South Park. Dillashaw reminds me of Butters, <laughs> but when but when he goes to the cage, he becomes Butters' alter ego. Is it Professor Chaos? When you, you know the P- Professor Chaos alter right. ego, the bad guy. So that's what that's what Dillashaw reminds me of. When you meet him, when I meet him, when I talk to him. He's a great guy, nice guy, well spoken. You know he's yeah you know, he's cool as hell. When he steps in that cage, he becomes a different person. Oh yeah, he's a person. If um, if you if I were to, if me and you were out, and we would just see Bill Shaw at Dave and Buster's. We just think he's a gamer. You know, we wouldn't think of him as a killer. Well, if we saw him at and, Dave and Buster's, we'd think he's coming to Bellator, probably, right? Yeah, coming to Bellator, working there. Yeah. You know what I'm like, <laughs> so the thing is, like, well, I'm trying. You know, I feel like there's something he he has that that switch. Like, well, I feel with like Garbrandt, Garbrandt's Garbrandt. Like, you know, you know, he's the, the, the guy, you know, the pretty boy. You know, I'm tough. I'm a cool guy. You know, I'm a, I'm a fighter. Where Dillashaw, he's a fighter, but I think that outside of fighting, he's just a quiet guy, you know, very great manners, you know, very polite guy. But once it's, once it's time to, you know, switch to MMA mode and become the champion, he is right now, he becomes a killer. Because you see him, he'll get you out of there. And he, he he's trying to hurt you, you know. And, oh, yeah. and granted, it's not, not that intense. Like, he's not throwing heat. But he's throwing heat and volume. He comes and comes and comes. Well, is this going to be another King Mo math lesson? Does heat plus volume equal something really bad? I mean, what do we got here, King Mo? Uh, it equals that Dillashaw. You know, so it's that Dillashaw pace. Because one thing about his pace, his pacing is pretty it's pretty fast. It's calculated. And he can, I don't know, it's, it's, he's going to be hard to beat. He's going to take somebody that can wrestle him and hold him down and smother him to beat him. Because right now, if someone's going to strike him, it's going to be someone that's slick and long. With some power, it's gonna, but right now we don't see that at that weight class. It's gonna be someone that's gonna come up out of nowhere. It's gonna be a little longer, taller, and have that, have that combination of power and speed and endurance. But that's gonna, that's gonna be a special fighter. That's what because to me, Garbrandt, Dillashaw, special fighters. 
Well, let's talk about the future of Dillashaw. And you really laid out how good he is, how, how he gives himself so many opportunities to win a fight with that dynamic strike and the technique is, is on point. There's not going to be an immediate rematch, King Mo. Dana White and TJ right away, right after the fight, no hesitation, saying, no, we want Demetrius Johnson and we want him now. And the backstory, of course, is that when Cody Garbrandt pulled out of UFC 213 in July with that back injury, UFC almost tried to hustle and put together Dillashaw versus Johnson as like a replacement. It didn't get booked, whatever. But now they're talking about doing this at flyweight, at 125. Kingmo, I think that that decision weight-wise is a bit short-sighted, my personal take, because TJ's never fought at 125. So he's talking about cutting 10 pounds, and he's and he's already really lean and really a, a, a sculpted fighter. It feels like that would potentially, you know, compromise him where, look, Demetrius Johnson might be the greatest of all time, but he's not the greatest draw of all time. He doesn't have these A-side sort of Conor McGregor type abilities where it's like, well, I'll fight this guy, but only at my weight. Why would you book that fight? At 125, wouldn't you want to have a maybe a catchweight champion versus champion, no title on the line? Or if anything, King Mo, wouldn't you want DJ to come up? Wouldn't that add more to his legacy to come back up to Bantamweight and beat the reigning champion? Wouldn't you give him that opportunity to really be the greatest of all time? Of all your options on the table, TJ cutting down means it doesn't make sense to me. I think the catchweight would be the best option. Um, I think that TJ cut down 125 sounds good in theory, but... Let's say he cuts down and he's a zombie and he gets smashed like Chad Dawson versus Ward. You know what? Mighty Mouse will never get his, he'll never get his, uh, his just due. Exactly. Now, if he goes, if he fights a catchweight, he can. Now, but at the same time, people will be like, well, Dillashaw was drained. If he bumps up, then, that, you know, that, that, I think that does more. But at the same time, I feel like it's far more dangerous because I don't think, I don't think Mighty Mouse walks around at 135. I, he barely, I, I, I bet you barely watch Ron at that weight. Dillashaw, I don't know what he cuts, but I'm pretty sure he's a lot bigger than uh, Mighty Mouse. And you got two great fighters right there. I, it's hard not to go with the bigger man. Yeah, it's just like, look, the UFC for years hasn't liked the idea of these sort of super fights. I think they still have a bad taste in their mouth from when they allowed BJ Penn to, to face GSP in that rematch, right? It was it was sort of like uh, champion versus champion. BJ got dominated. His cor- corner basically threw in the towel. BJ was really never the same from that. It's almost like you damage a champion. So why would you put TJ in a spot where he could be compromised? Once you, like we just said, champion versus champion seems like the best move in a catchweight. I will say, though, it's not like I hate the fight. Obviously, this is a hell of a fight. You just hope TJ can be at his level. A uh, quick gun to your head right now. Who do you feel? Who do you like in that fight at 125, whether it might be six months away, whatever? We may not ever see it. Right now, Is that, do you lean any certain way? At 125, I got Mighty Mouse easy. You know, because if you're not – if you're not, I'll, let's think about this. Dillashaw wrestled in college. So let's say let's say he wrestled at 125, right? He wrestled he, – let's say he graduated from college about six years ago. He hasn't seen 125 in six years. So you mean tell me that – you have a guy that cuts weight, probably not that hard to 135. And ain't seen 125 in about six, seven years. A little older to cut weight, make weight for a five-round fight. And be effective for five rounds. As first time making a lighter weight class. Don't think so. Now, at 130, it's a toss-up. So, but at the same time, I'll I, I give a slight favor to Dillashaw because he'll be able to you know, rehydrate a little bit. But at the same time, if it goes to fourth and fifth round, I think that weight cut was still effective. Mm-hmm. 130, if it's at 135, we've got Dillashaw, he's the bigger man. And I, 
and he's the bigger man. They're both good, but I just I think Dillashaw's size will, will catch up to him. I think I'd agree with both of those. And the interesting mouse. thing about my, my beef on, on doing it at 125 is you give Dillashaw a chance to become a two-division champion, which is rare air, right? GSP just joined that club. It's Randy Couture, BJ Penn, Conor McGregor, and now George St. Pierre. And that's fine, but I think you would rather historically want to give Johnson that opportunity. Or like we said, if you do it as a catchweight, no titles on the line, then just bill it as the title of pound-for-pound pound best in the world. Because in reality... Whoever wins that probably would would strongly deserve that 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 call of pound for pound number one. I mean, how you know I had coming in Dillashaw at number four pound for pound. How much did he improve up up your own top ten with that victory on Saturday? Well, I don't know. I don't know because the pound for pound list is kind of it's kind of weird because you know on the pound for pound list a lot of people don't add the women. They forget about the women. Well, I liked it separate. I like to have men and women separate. UFC combines them together. I don't think that makes a ton of sense. Well, I, I think it does because, you know, I, I feel like fighting is fighting. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, if, you, if you're talking about the best, like, you know, just over, an overall category, let's combine them, combine them both. But uh, I don't know. I think Dillashaw still – he's still in the top top five. You know, I just, I just don't know where because, really, it can change any day. It depends on the performance. Like, is it, it's kind of hard not to throw George up in the top, top four, top five. It's hard not to because he left on top, came back, and beat the champion. Good point. That is a good point. I, you know, I, I'm going to be doing my own top 10 this week, redoing it forever, to, whatever that means. But you know what I hadn't thought about? What do we do with GSP now? Because it's, again, it's hard. And I know Dana White came out after that fight and was like, all you people that say Bisping's an easy fight, look at George's face. And I get that. But at the same time, to a certain degree, there's a bit of an asterisk, at least for the title. There's a bit of an asterisk. Maybe not an asterisk overall for what GSP accomplished coming off of a four-year layoff fighting a tough guy in Bisping. But, again, Bisping's not a top-five middleweight even for me at this point. So what does that do for GSP in the top ten? It's interesting. It's an interesting debate. I mean, you take again, you take nothing away from GSP. That was a feel-good moment. That was a great moment for his career. But I just didn't value Bisping on that level. Well, you know, it's weird because you kind of have to, but at the same time, what hurts Bisping is the fact that there's another champion at the same weight class. That's what hurts him. And then what hurts him also is that Derek Bronson smashed Lyoto. Another thing that hurts him is Luke Rockhall winning. You know, so it, it just – and then another thing that hurt him big time in that big way is a welterweight champion coming back after a four-year layoff, coming back to beat the champion at a weight class above. That looks real bad. That looks horrible, actually. Let's be 100. That looks, that looks horrible. That's a Sugar Ray Leonard performance, performance in a sense. Except with Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard had ways to, um, to bargain and negotiate and make some things that swing in his favor, like the type of gloves, thumbless gloves. But George didn't have any of that. If you, let's be real. If anything, George came to fight in a disadvantage. Rust, ring rust, um, up a new weight class, timing, all that, going five rounds for the first time in four years. He was at the he was he was at the disadvantage, not Bisping, and George overcame all odds. So he came up, like I don't, I I I couldn't name many people that gave him a chance to win besides the casual fan because the casual fan was like George St Pierre. They once you hear him, they're like no one's beating him. But the person, the hardcore that watched realized that we knew that Bisping had good takedown defense. He active off his back and get to his feet, high volume, and the bigger man. And he showed some of that, but at the same time. He didn't look himself. You know what the strongest part of GSP's performance, and I forgot to mention this earlier, is in that third round when he dropped 
uh, Bisping, and he knew he had a window to finish him. Did you see how quickly he he jumped to the canvas to first apply the ground and pound and then slip him into the choke? Like he went from like you know wrestling or, or you know performing at an energy level of like six to like fifteen. I mean, he leaped down there and put him away, and it was like that veteran instinct knowing. This is my window. Whether I dump my stamina to do it or not, this is my window to finish him. And heck yeah, he finished him. And that led to GSP blood streaming down his face, just standing in the middle of the cage looking around at the crowd. And that was like a heck of a moment. Holy crap, did he turn it on when he had the chance, King Mo? He, he did. And you know, you know what? I, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm cut back on what I said because I said before, Bisping, um, if the fight would have went past the third, Bisping would have won. And now I think about it, I don't think I, – I think George – could have been patient regardless because the way when it, when Bisping went down, when George dropped, he what happens? He stepped forward, changes levels, and then came with the left hook and sat Bisping. Now Bisping was done by then. Like I, I you know, just looking looking at looking, looking at where how he fell, he was done by then. He had he was he was out of it. You know, he was out. I just think that uh, George showed he showed good good awareness, um, good speed, good reaction time. But man, I, I just. Just a stand up, really. More than anything, his wrestling was okay. You know what I'm saying? Because he struggled with the finish, but his stand up, his, his range, his jab, his timing. His boxing that's, better that's, than ever. Better yeah. than ever. Yeah, his, box, yeah. his boxing looked good. I, I still think that someone like Willie would give him issues because yeah. Willie has a big right hand. And a lot of times, George would, uh, George's head's off center even more, but I feel like he was there to get hit with the right hand still because Bisping did land some shots on him. Bisping whacked him with the right hand, you know, people a few times. But, uh, I think that Woodley, I think, I wish, the, I wish Woodley had a chance to fight George because I think that fight would have been impressive as well. Because I think George would have brought Woodley, George would have forced Woodley to wrestle, he would have forced Woodley to stand, and he would have forced Woodley to bring the fight. Because George, if you fight, if you fight back against George, you can pick you apart. So Willie gets to fight way different than he normally has. And Woodley's, I think Woodley's underrated in so many categories, but really smart. You saw the two Thompson fights and the Maya fight, how much he, he sucked out the entertainment value, but he also sucked out his opponent's chance to win. I mean, he's got to get credit for being a, a smarter fighter than people realize. And while it would be GSP smarts against Woodley's raw explosion, I mean, that's a tough fight for GSP. That's Woodley all the way. Maybe that's why we didn't see a King Mo. But we got to roll on to the third title fight, which is Joanna Young Jacek. She was one title defense at strawweight away from tying Ronda Rousey's record for victory for title defenses by UFC women. And that, the title reign, I mean, it came crashing down. We, we, we teased at it. Rose Nama Yunus. Wow, King Mo. It was a first round TKO. Again, of all the finishes you could have predicted coming in, even if you predicted Rose would pull the upset, you would not have predicted a first round TKO in three minutes. So, King Mo, what we talked about in the buildup, Rose was not getting caught into the mental game, the traps that Joanna likes to set for people. And it really seemed like that played as big of a part in her winning as how improved her boxing looked under Trevor Whitman. Well, the thing is, like, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty tough because I like Joanna. Um, Watch the fight. What I can say is uh, Rose was composed. Rose... Her boxing was on point. Her boxing was on point. Her range, her distance, and everything Rose, Rose did, people don't realize. I remember I said this before. I said, if you want to be a machine, because remember, everybody said, everybody said that, um, your, um, your wine is a machine. I said, if you want to be a machine, you got to put her, put a machine in with a thinker. And I said, hey, if, if, if Rose can make your wine a think, she could be in trouble. And what happened? Rose went out there. When Rose rocked, after Rose rocked her, she, she played a different game. She crept. She slid in. She fought long, but she fought at a 
counter offensive pace, like not counter offensive pace, but counter offensive motion to where she was fighting long, but she it, she gave the illusion that she was close, but she wasn't. So whenever you saw Yoana throw a jab or a one-two, Yoana either come up short or she fall forward. You know she fall into it because she couldn't gain the range, the distance, anything, and the timing was off. Everything after that one punch, and I, I just just Rose like everyone wrote her off. Everyone said that Rose is gonna get smashed because Joanna's a machine. Well, Rose went in there as a thinker. Rose was Sugar Ray Leonard. Joanna was Duran in the second fight. That's wow. And, that's a great way to look at it. And you know, this has been mentioned in the follow up of this. Uh, I think it was Dana who said it. Joe Rogan said it too. At that weight class for women, you don't see one punch knockdowns. Like you just don't really see that. The technique of Rose, especially with that lo- sweeping left hook that ultimately finished the fight, and she also knocked down Joanna earlier on the right hand. The technique and timing was just on point. Even Joanna said after the fight, I wasn't. You know, she didn't hurt me in terms of crushing me with power. She just hit my chin at the right spot perfectly. Like. Mm-hmm. I, we all, I always knew Rose, you know, and she, of course, lost the, the inaugural title fight in this division three years ago. I always knew she had the skills. They thought she was the next Ronda Rousey three years ago. But that has to be talked about. What a redemption story this is, the evolution of her as a fighter to go back to the drawing board and not just fix herself mentally to believe she can get to this point, but to evolve her skills. I mean, she just walked in there against the beast of the division and straight up out-techniqued her uh, even more than anything else. Well, she used her boxing. And if you look at the trend, look at this fight. Look at the new trend. And like I said before, the new trend is boxing. I said that weeks ago. The new trend is boxing. Um, if you watch that fight, watch the finish, before the finish came, Rose threw a left hook right hand. Came close. Then you watch it again, she threw another left hook right hand. But this time landed it real clean and put her away. You know, um, I think that this, this belt, they'll be playing hot potato with it because I think that Jessica Andrade, who will possibly end up beating Rose. Just her pace and the way her style, the way she fights, her pace, the style, good chin, good cardio, good wrestling, short and stocky, hard to submit. Um, I think that, I think what's, what we're going to see is we're going to see, you know, A, B, 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 C, C, B, day. And then we're going to see A, B, and C, probably A, B, and C go up to 125. Well, what we're going to see is great fights because right, you know, whether, whether you want to get the immediate rematch or not, like you said, that pool of people right behind, uh, Rose now, which includes Andrade, uh, Carolina, who beat Rose Carolina, uh, yep. in 2016 at UFC 201, you know, there's Claudia. Like this is going to be a round robin of some great fights, some hungry fighters. But here's a couple interesting points on Ioana coming out of this. Suddenly they start making Rousey comparisons. Not just because Joanna's going for, you know, to equal Rousey's record, but the idea that Rousey was winning fights as much with intimidation at the very peak of her apex and was starting to distract herself with outside the cage opportunities, which created a bad combination. People are saying maybe that's what happened to Joanna. Cause after the fight, Joanna's saying, I was so, I've been so busy. I've been doing this, that, and this and that. But Joanna cut that out when, when, when a reporter tried to make that comparison. And she's like, I love Ronda, but this is BS. Don't talk about this. I am not, you know, in, in this case, this comparison does not work. I am not Ronda Rousey. I just got beat by somebody, you know, better tonight. And you give Joanna credit. Unlike Rousey, she faced the music. She, she went up to the, you know, she attended the press conference. She, had, she addressed the media. But do you see any comparisons there to Rousey? Or do you think this was just fought a hungry fighter, beat her? We'll see if they can run it back. I don't see any comparisons because the thing is, like, um, with Joanna, you've seen a, you've seen a more evolution. With Joanna, you don't see, like, she doesn't change. She's the same, like, I, 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 I'd see, I'd see a difference if she came to the gym driving a Mercedes or, yeah. or you know, a Maybach, Benz, something like that. But 
she rides a bike at 10 speed to the gym. <laughs> she trains. She asks for help. She trains, spars, trains, leaves on the bike. Then comes back later on, a few hours later, on the bike. Does strength training, hard strength training. I can tell you that because we're the same coach. After that, she gets back on her bike. Back home, guess what? Her bike ride is probably about um, probably about five, ten miles long. So it's 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 she's a hard worker. She's a smart worker. And she's not one you dimensional know, I, like Rousey was. So I think above all no. things, that's where the comparison doesn't work. Well, the thing the thing is like you can say she's one dimensional, but like okay, she's a striker. She's a very she's a very, very striker. You say she's one dimensional. Ronda, great, very diverse rapper in a sense. But at the same time, you you can see you can see um, Joanna, she's willing to. She, I see her wrestle every day, and she's willing to. If she's an opportunity to take the fights to the ground, she would. But she didn't had to. But I don't know. I just I just see I just see different styles, different personalities, and uh, you know I don't think it's fair to just group them all together in one group. Joanna and and and, and Ronda are different people. All right. After the fight, Rose says. Actually, she said this Monday to MMA Fighting. She says, this was a fight of mental warfare. I beat Joanna at her own game. I think each time that I was giving her nothing, she needs that. She needs somebody to fire back. End quote. She went on and on basically talking about the mental battle. Do you think that, if anything, Rose provided a blueprint of of how you beat Joanna, that it's not as much about technique, that it's more about standing up to the bully and sort of removing the intimidation factor in the fight? Or again, am nah. I just am I reaching for too many straws? This was one fight. It was one ending. Let's run it back and see how it happens a second time. No, it's, it's one. It's 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 one fight because the thing is like intimidation intimidation factor like Mike Tyson. Joanna had intimidation factor, but at the same time she backed it up, and Joanna can go five rounds. A bully, a true bully, doesn't is is a front runner. You know what I'm saying? Yo, I I just feel like you know um I, I don't know. I, I just feel like this this is a one time thing. I think. Joanna will get the belt back, or or at one fifteen or one twenty five. Who knows? But you have to remember this: Joanna's style is high high pace. Her the way she trains is high pace. She's been going balls to the wall for who knows how long. Sure. So I think I think that this might might be a blessing in disguise because now she can take a break, she can relax, get her body rest because her weight cut her weight cuts aren't easy either. And I have a feeling for this last fight, her weight cut wasn't easy. I would, I would think and, I would agree with that. Be... And let's not forget, at the weigh-in, Friday morning, you have a two-hour window. She came in with almost no time to spare. And and during that two-hour window, she was down the street at, at doing a, a you know a, nation, a national TV talk show and then comes running in with no time to spare, makes the weight. But people were already starting to say, well, what happens if she misses? You know, she'll have two more hours to cut back down. Like People were already sort of speculating that it had been a hard weight cut. I don't doubt that her future soon enough will be at 125. It just makes more sense for her physically. She can add to her legacy. But I think King Mo, before then, she will get the immediate rematch, and I think she deserves the immediate rematch. Not every champion gets that treatment. TJ didn't get it after Dominic Cruz beat him by split decision. Luke Rockhold didn't get it after Bisping, you know, upset him by knockout. Those guys didn't have the lineage, though, the the, the resume, the buildup that Ioana has. I think Ioana's an automatic, deserves the title rematch, and I think, King Mo, tell me if I'm wrong, she would be favored in the rematch, too. I don't know. You know, I don't know if she'd be favored in the rematch. But look at Aldo. Aldo never got... Although he got screwed. under the yeah, so I I don't know what can happen in the rematch, um because it's, it's kind of hard to favor in the rematch because she got beat, but she got beat in the first round. But actually, it wasn't even close really because I don't think she never got a chance to get a motor running, you know. But uh, 
the rematch, you never know. I, I, we never know. I, I feel like, um, you know, Rose could come with, come with, might have a plan B, you know what I'm saying? After this plan A, if we, if, if, um, we make an adjustment to get the victory, but it's a toss up to me. It's, it's always going to be a toss up till we see what Joanna, how Joanna shakes back in practice. All right. One more piece of business on Joanna. Not, not a controversy, but it happened. After she was dropped by that left hook, as Rose jumped on with hammer fist to try to end it, Yoana appeared to tap out with her left hand on the ground as the referee was jumping in to wave it out, to tap on strikes. Yoana was also on Ariel Hawani's show on Monday and said, no, 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 I didn't tap on strikes. I was trying to stand up. And she also admitted that she was kind of out of it at that point. So, you know, whatever. Uh, King Mo, this is basically a pride thing, right? Does it matter if she was trying to tap out on strikes? We always go back to BJ Penn, who ahead of that GSP rematch famously said, only a bitch taps out on strikes, even though he ended up basically tapping out in that fight when his corner threw in the towel. Does that even matter anymore? Should we, this is even a topic. Does, who cares, right? It doesn't matter. Um, really, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. A loss is a loss. You tap, you tap, you go sleep, they throw in the towel. A loss is a loss. It don't matter because by, you go shirt off, you type in, type in the name, and you see L. You see red, <laughs> and you see L in there. So it makes no difference, man. Like, there's no fighter argue, pride. Oh, there's how no, you like, lose. fighter pride that tapping on strikes is some sort of, like, giving up, even though a tap on submission is acceptable because no one wants to see, like, their arm broken or get choked out. But is it is a tap on strikes, is there, is there a stigma anymore among fighters that, like, no, I would never do that? If there is, it's stupid because, you know, tapping is a way. If you're losing, you tap. If you're in a position where you can't defend yourself or you're taking damage, tap. There's no point. Like, you think it's cool to go, like, you know what? I'm just going to go out. You know, I'm going to get knocked. Just knock me out. You know, I want to bring injury. I want to shorten my career. You know, referee, just just let me go out. Or, you know what? I'm not going to tap. I'll never tap. I'm, I'm going to take a broken bone and I'm just going to get knocked out. So That's I can't the Brazilian fight. way, right? That's the Brazilian way. Let that arm snap like Noguera style, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And that's a dumb way because, you know, you can't fight again or it can hurt your career. You know, it's you know, if you're, if I, I don't think that it should matter how you lose. Just the fact that if you, if you're willing to have the nuts, if you have the nuts to step in the cage, or you have the, you have the, the mindset to step in the cage and fight, then that's, that's to be enough right there. Yeah, yeah. I don't care how you lose, how you win matters, in a sense. You know, but a win's a win. A Same loss thing a in lost. boxing. Win's I'd like to see a, a culture in boxing where we get away from the idea that it's a moral victory to have gone the distance in a loss. And you see so many guys taking four extra rounds of punishment in a fight they shouldn't have. Great example. Remember that super fight? Pacquiao versus Cotto. Remember the first, first four rounds yeah. were gold and then Cotto yeah. got dropped a few times. The next eight rounds was like a one-sided beating until they finally stopped it in the 12th. That fight basically should have been stopped in the sixth round and maybe Miguel Cotto, who still had a great career afterwards. Maybe he would have been, you know, uh, maybe he would have had more to his crowd. All I'm saying is, let's just get away from that, King Mo, right? I just want to see a world where we get away from that. That's, you know, that's all I'm saying. We don't, we don't need extra tough guys. Like you said, you're tough enough just to step through the ropes or get in the cage. Let that be enough. Well, well the thing is, I think that the reason why that's a stigma is, um, you know, that stigma people are, you know, they're applauded for going 12 rounds to survive is because they can easily quit and the fans will be mad. You know what I'm saying? And because you know everybody's like, because every, in wrestling we have a we have a um, we have a term where we say we have like a quote we say like a, a lot, I don't know adage we say that you know um, if there's time on the clock you can always win, so like you know you can always win, you know. Uh, so the thing is like you can say you're down by eleven rounds in the twelfth round if you're tough enough you're hanging out you're taking that beating you can actually come back and still win. If there's, if there's time on the clock you always have a chance to win. So that's one that's one thing that you know. 
people live by and try to die by. So yeah, but in wrestling, lot, you're not taking strikes to the head, so it's maybe yeah, yeah, a true. Bit. But, but a lot, but a lot of times, people die by that. Very, you know, what I'm saying very, they because you know everybody likes the fairy tale story. Oh, like Rocky. Oh, I'm, I'm down. Oh, he's down by 13 rounds. Let's see what happens in the 14th and 15th round. Well, in real in real life, if you're down like down like that, the chance of you coming back decreases as the fight goes on. Absolutely. King Mo, we are uh, very little time left. I want to touch on the other big stories coming out of this. Welterweight, Stephen Thompson, three-round decision over Jorge Masvidal. It was almost masterful and almost as big of a story as Wonderboy bouncing back with his victories. Tyron Woodley tweeting and calling out the UFC, basically being like, Oh, you think, you think, uh, Wonder Boy is that easy to fight now? Look, you know, look at how difficult he is basically in reaction to Dana White being all over Woodley for how quote unquote boring his two close fights with Thompson were. There was a majority draw, then Woodley won by majority decision. This was a big bounce back for Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy. I mean, this was elite. This was a clinical performance against your guy Masvidal. Yeah, man. You know what? Uh, I hated, I, I hated watching my boy lose like that. Um, one thing I can say about Wonderboy, he he did he did a better job using his hands, creating good angles. Um, I don't know, he he, he bought the fight, you know. Um, he he did some countering. He took the lead. Uh, he he showed he showed other um other other avenues of striking that I've ever seen. You know, he he did he he showed he showed uh, some good technical striking, especially with his boxing. That's the thing that impressed me the most because usually he's known for his kicks. This time he played kept it you know kind of. Kind of simple in a sense. All we saw was a back kick. We didn't see nothing crazy. Nothing crazy spinning. We saw a spinning back kick, side kick, but and some punches. It was almost like he used the kicks to uh, almost discipline Masvidal and not coming forward, and then use the boxing to win the fight. Like you mentioned, I mean, a lot of like lead left crosses. Like there was some there was some good stuff in there. Now Jorge though, it took him a while to get started and really put the foot on the gas. He had some moments in that third round. It led you to believe that if that had been a five round fight, maybe the momentum would change. But it was it was essentially too little, too late in the end. Yeah, um, I just think that you know what, what hurt what hurt George is those lack of boxing. Because at times he was using his jab and pressing the action, he, he he landed. He landed. He scored. He did good. He looked better. He took he took charge because he could land his kicks as well. He could counter because the jab creates the jab um, helps you just measure your distance and helps with your timing. It helps you score points. It helps you keep helps keep you in the fight. The moment that went away, it was all wonder boy. The moment it was there, Masvidal had you saw some hope for Masvidal. On top of that. One thing I didn't like is the lack of wrestling, the lack of attempts of takedowns at Masvidal. I wish that he would have went for the takedown the first round to mix things up, but he didn't go for a takedown until like the second and part of the third. And even then, when he went for the takedown, he let go to throw punches. You know, um, Wonderboy had a great game plan, fought a smart fight. No question about it. This division is suddenly like red hot again underneath. Like Woodley on top, obviously, but you got Condit coming back. You now have Robbie Lawler facing Rafael Dos Anjos, and it's uh, it's Thompson who's saying, let me fight the winner of that for a chance to fight for the title. Holy crap, Wonderboy versus either Lawler or RDA. Sign me the heck up, King Mo. Yeah, um, out 170 is, is hot again. But let's see who's who's uh, who's going to be the next to fight uh, to fight um, Woodley. That's the thing. There's no true contender. Everyone's contenders. There's no true front runner for the contender spot. I can't think of who it is. Can you? No, that, and I want to find out who it is. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I want to see who comes out of that mix. King Mo, to close this card, the main card. Oh my God. Paulo Costa, formerly known as Paulo Barranquina, if you will, from Brazil. Just his third UFC fight. 
blew away Johnny Hendricks. He was bigger. He was stronger. He was more aggressive. This guy Costa built like a Greek god. I didn't think he could keep up that pressure, that pace. King Mo, in the end, he looked like a prime young Vitor Belfort, like 1997. Like, we just, the only thing we got to find out now is, is this guy for real? Holy crap. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to be real with you. I wasn't that impressed. I was impressed by his size. I was impressed by his punch, like, you know, his good technique. But one thing I didn't like is his lack of defense because Johnny was tagging him. You know, and if you look, he's kind of slow. Like he's, he's too tense. He, you know, he, if he, he, I'm pretty sure he's quicker. Because I've seen other fights, he loosened up, he looked good. But this fight, I think maybe because the, it's such a, on the big stage, he looked a lot tighter and things looked forced. Where before I seen a fight, he looked like, looked, looked a little smoother, still brutal. But this fight, I don't know, just, you could see him taking deep breaths. And I was like, okay, if John could withstand the storm, with the storm and make it to the third round. You know, so I think that, I think I stopped the second. If he can make it to the third, was it second or first? Second, yeah. Yeah. If he can make it to the third round, then I think that he had a chance to do something. Johnny's but, only, yeah, Johnny started boxing well, and it looked like what you're saying. If he could gas Costa, but Costa found that second gear. Johnny just didn't have the power at this weight to hurt him. That's six losses and eight fights for Hendricks. I mean, that's a bad fall. But the story is even more important than that. Became about Costa, who called out Derek Brunson and says, you're scared to fight me. Wow, we, I just said we want to find out if Paulo is for real. You feed him to Derek Brunson, that's a fight with potential fireworks. That's going to find out deep end of the pool, King Mo, what we have here in this guy. Yeah, but I don't think, I think that, I don't think he's ready. I don't think he's ready for Derek Brunson, cause like, he's, how we do Derek Brunson's wrestling. I think if anything, they should have him fight, like, you know, have him fight other guys, build, like, move, move him up, because he, don't, don't get excited, he beat Johnny Hendricks, a, a welterweight who's coming off a loss. Very true. A welterweight coming off a loss. He came off a loss, and let's be real, when he, um, the guy that beat him before that, um, uh, the guy from Maine, Tim, uh, Bosch. Ah, Tim, Tim Bosch. Bosch. Tim Bosch beat him easier. Mm-hmm. They both be him easier than um than um than uh, Paulo did. So let's you know let's I let's be real. Let's be you know I, I'm I'm I like the bandwagon. I like what I see because he's young. He's he's put together. All right, so good. you're saying it might be fool's gold but, what he did to Hendricks because Hendricks is not in a good spot right now. Let's be honest. He's yeah, and, and two like you know um Hendricks is smaller. It's just I just think Hendricks is the fight thing and it's a, oh some random Brazilian. You know I'm not worried. He has a good record, but he's fought guys in Brazil and just knocked them out. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat his face and I'm gonna see what what he has to offer in a, the second and third round because you know usually the first round a lot of those punch like you know power punching Brazilians are dangerous for a round and a half. And you saw that with Paulo because Paulo came out a guns a blaze in the first round. Second round he came out more more measured, but the first round he man he's throwing everything out there. Very very I, look I want to see him next. Like we said, I, you made some good points about about whether yeah, Christoph, he can fight Christoph Jocko. Right. He can fight Branch because because those guys aren't those guys are, are, are up there. They're top top ten, top top ten caliber guys. So let's see if I win those guys yeah, first. Branch, Branch is top five. That'd be a, a real test to see what we have yeah. here in Costa. Branch, King, uh, Branch would touch him up, man. Branch is too too big, too long, too quick, and Branch would take him down. Good jujitsu. I'm telling, you, I got Branch. Branch I like Branch. All right, all right. Uh, King. Well, those were your big storylines for 217. A lot of craziness on the undercard, knockouts, controversial DQ finishes. But I want to hit you up with one more thing on the way out here that did take place. We said it was a loaded weekend for MMA, pro wrestling, boxing. Friday night, we also saw Bellator 186 on the campus of Penn State. King Mo in the main event, a guy from your division, Ryan Bader, 
defended that light heavyweight title for Bellator with a second-round TKO over Linton Vassell. This was like prime Darth Vader stuff. You impressed? Nah. Nah. I'm impressed by your performance. I'm actually <laughs> got the victory, but you know what? Like, uh, you know that he could do it to he could do it to Linton Vassell, but he ain't doing that to me. Yeah, there, there, uh, there it is, right there, King Mo. That's the soundbite we're looking for. It, yeah, mean, man. It's gonna happen. I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, Bader looked good, but I'm gonna be roached the first round. He looked, he got a few takedowns, but on his feet, man, he didn't look, I'm gonna give him issues, man. I, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't think he's that confident with the striking. He has some power, but, you know, I think that with the cell actually looked better in the, in the, in the stand up. Just to the wrestling and grappling, Bader controlled it and dominated him in that fashion with, with, the, with that style. King Mo, you've been honest in saying, like, at this point in your career, you want big fights, you want you want money, you want good things. How important is it a chance of getting that Bellator light heavyweight belt to put on your mantle to sort of you know close out w- with a big one there as you're in the second half of your career? How motivating of a factor is that for you right now? Well, I'm motivated for that belt and the heavyweight belt. So, oh wow, oh wow, we're breaking news here into the uh, in this corner podcast from King Mo. We talking heavyweight? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, I mean, I, I, it's, it's Bader. I'm, I think you know. Probably end up fighting Bader, Davis, or in the heavyweight tournament. You know, see, that's what I'm thinking. All right. I, I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind doing both. Have have me fight. You know, one of them guys in the heavyweight tournament. You know, what I'm saying if it's if it's Bader for the belt in the heavyweight tournament, let's fight five rounds. In the first round, the second round, of the tournament. If we meet up, okay, if, well, if me and Bader fight, heat. let's fight for the belt in that tournament as well. King Mo, put the belt on heat right now. Uh, King Mo, Phil Davis, the former champion, did have a victory on this undercard. Three round decision over Leonardo Liete. Did that, did that move you at all? That didn't move you, right? Did move you? Because I didn't watch it. No, no, it didn't <laughs> I knew it was gonna happen. I knew. Look, went right, I knew it was gonna happen. Man. It's a get like, well you know, fight. Let's um, get well fight, right? I mean, it, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, but Leite, Leite is tough, man. It's good judo, but I had a feeling that 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 fight was gonna be, you know, a tough one because you know I don't think Phil likes Phil doesn't like to engage much. He doesn't like to engage in that fashion. So he likes to fight long. He'll go for a few takedowns. If a guy cleanses with him, guess what? He's crawfishing, going backwards, trying trying to get it out. So, you know, I figured that Phil, you know, go out there, fight smart, and get the victory. Just, you know, get, you know, you know, get some ring time. I think that's what he did. Some cage time, actually. We also saw Uber prospect middleweight Ed Ruth improve at this point to four and zero in his MMA career. The former Penn State wrestling star. How bright of a future does this guy have, King Mo? I'm gonna go out there and put this, say this right now. Um, the Fab Five. Bellator, coming from wrestling, those guys have picked up boxing or striking faster than any MMA fighters. I mean, MMA, any wrestlers that trans, transition to MMA has, as I've seen, you know, since I've, since I've been involved. I've, I've never seen anybody take to striking that quick. Ed Roos, right hand, he's a good jab. He's still, he's still green, but, you know, the fact that he's actually going out there winning with striking and not just wrestling is impressive. Four TKO victories. This is this is a guy yeah. to watch. I'm interested to see. King Mo, wild weekend in the books. You were back in the cage. You, you got cut open the hard way. Wow, UFC 217 entertained us. What a weekend we saw. I, I, you can only say so much. I just want to see you again in that in that ring, in the six sides, in the six sides of death there. Okay, one more time. Give the fans what they want, King Mo. One more match. Come on, man. I, I, yeah, you know what? I'll give him one. Yeah, I, I think I could do that. One more match. But we can't forget this, though, real quick. If anyone has a chance, they should go to YouTube and check out the Deontay Wilder knockout when he knocked out Burmester Burn. 
That was vicious. Okay, so that's the that viciousness is what we have wanted from Deontay this whole run. Now it's you could say, hey, hey, dude, he's knocked out everybody he's faced. So what else do you want from him? I'm just saying he went after him with like hatred and like vile. I'm going to get him out of there. But King Mo, asterisk time. Berman Stavern was 16 pounds heavier than their first fight. Yeah. He was off for two years, and he came in fat and out of shape. Come on, Stavern. Yeah, and two like Berman's last fight was Derek Rossi. He got dropped in that fight. The crazy thing is, like I know I've I've seen Berman a lot. Seen with the gym. I like his coach Don House. I saw Berman sparring with uh with Roy Nelson in Vegas about a month or two ago, and I was asking who you're gonna fight, and he's like, Oh, I'm fighting Dominic Brazil, and. You know, blah, blah, blah. So, all right. But he, he wasn't really training. Like, his training wasn't, it was just like just casual sparring. It was casual sparring. It just like works. It, it was nothing. And next thing you know, a few weeks later, he ends up, the fight changes, ends up fighting Deontay Wilder. I don't think he had enough time to really truly prepare for Deontay. Looking at his face and like, looking at the way he's talking, I don't think he believed he could beat Deontay. Looking at when he went down, like, he didn't land a punch. He, Box said he didn't land one punch that whole fight. Oh. Granted, it haven't lasted one round, but all the trash talk, he's like, I'm, he, he said he's going to get Deontay's ass and do all this and that, but he really did nothing. And now he's like the, he's a butt of all jokes. I, I'm seeing memes of him doing limbo, quote unquote, or him doing the seal or him doing the octopus walk. They're, they're killing him on social killing, media right now. They're killing him right now. There's no question about it. But look, for a while there, he needed a performance like that to just be like, F everybody. I'm the man, Joshua. I know that you you want to chase your money fights, but I am the guy you're going to have to beat. I hope we see it in 2018. I believe in some point in 2018 we will see that. Uh, do you have any early feeling on who you like? Because Wilder Joshua is going to be dramatic the whole time because of Wilder's right hand. I believe Joshua is a better fighter, but I also believe he could go to sleep with one of those shots from Wilder. So, holy crap, we have a super, super fight. Do you, do you lean any direction early on? Well... I lean to I, I lean towards Josh. He's more proven, but I don't think that fight's gonna happen until 2019. For this reason, I don't think Wilder wants to go to England for one. Two, Tyson Fury. That's the wild card. That's the wild Tyson card, King. Well, that's the guy that's the right there. Yeah. He's like 400 pounds now, but he's, he's he's he said he's coming back. He's gonna get back into the gym. He's gonna train. If he could get back into shape in any form, King Mo. Joshua versus Fury is the biggest fight you can make in the sport. Don't say the biggest fight in England. The biggest fight you can make in the sport. They'll put like a hundred thousand into a soccer stadium for that. Yeah, but the thing is, it could be the biggest fight. But it can, it it depends like how uh, if Josh say Joshua goes out there and smashes him, and then Deontay Wilder keeps on smashing people, that fight will be bigger. Say say Joshua goes out there and gets smashed by Tyson Fury, then Wilder versus Fury will be will be huge. Yes. So regardless, there's gonna be a big fight. I think it's gonna happen in 2000. It's gonna happen. One's gonna happen next year, and the other's gonna happen the year after. And this can be massive. The thing about Tyson Fury is, if he could get back into the shape that he was for Klitschko, he's a wild card because he's six nine. He has long arms. He's quick. He can do the sort of slow the game down, annoying boxing style. He does like a mini version of what Floyd does in the heavyweight division. Switches stances too. Does some weird, wacky things. That's kryptonite for Joshua if Fury's in shape. But Kingbo, that's a big if. That's a really. I mean, come on. Yeah, the guy's- I, 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 I saw a video of him because I love Tyson Fury. You know me. I'm on Instagram looking around. I saw a video of him hitting mitts. Recent video, and he looked phenomenal. He looked Tyson. Quick. He looked like 400 pounds yes. the week. He was in no, Monaco no, no. for the HBO card, and the dude was sitting over two chairs in the front row. I saw him hit mitts. Granted, he's still big, but I saw him. I saw. I saw him work. I'll see the. I'll see the link on the. 
on on the I'll take to see the link. Check it out. But he looked good. You know, his hands look fast. Granted, you can tell he's getting tired, but he looked like he still carries that same technique. You know, he can spit bars, though, too, King Mo. All time Gypsy can... Boys. All time the Irish crew. Hey, hey. I mean, that's we need. We need him back just for moments like that. Come on, King Mo. Like Tyson Fury, like I think his personality. I think I think if if there's a Tyson Fury in every sport, sports would be even bigger because this man, he's he he's, he can talk trash good. He's funny, you know, well spoken. You know, I I just I just like his demeanor. And I'm he, not he'll fight you. I'm not supporting his his constant homophobic and misogynistic comments. Those are Either. trash, but. And it's somehow that trash still kind of lingers in boxing, and he knows how to play the heel game very well. Yeah, yeah, he's he's like um, a Dan Lambert in boxing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we hope we get that King Ball. A lot to be excited about for boxing and heavyweight boxing. A lot to be excited about for MMA and pro wrestling. We hope we see King Mo back. But you can follow him in the meantime at King Mo FH on Twitter and Instagram. Hit me up at D Campbell CBS. Hey, send us your uh, DM questions. We'll answer them on the show. King Mo, another week in the books, another time we can give the people two words. We out.